Yes, welcome back. You're listening to the only interactive car show on UAE Radio. We give you motoring advice. We talk about what's happening in the car world. And we let you have a voice on the road safety issues as well. We're going to be keeping you company through until noon. It's a pleasure to be joined by Noel Ebden, fellow motoring journo. We'll uh, tell you what we've both been driving and playing around with and also uh, will be joining us with the chat until noon. Here's what's coming up. Well, officially, I'm the first guy in the Middle East to get behind the wheel of Renault's Megane electric vehicle. It's coming here probably uh, not for a while yet, but it's on its way. And I managed to uh, sneak over to have a drive of that one in Spain last week. My review on that later on. Uh, speaking of EVs, I'm also talking um, with uh, Salman Hussein. He's the founder of Fuse, who recently converted a classic Volkswagen Beetle into an EV. He'll be live in the studio. And I had the pleasure, the enormous pleasure of joining the Mille Miglia, the most beautiful race in the world when it descended on the UAE. Unfortunately, I wasn't driving, but I'm not complaining because my driver was Grand Prix legend and Le Mans winner and Dakar competitor, Jochen Mass. And we had a great chat while we we're out there on the road. And next year, we are going to be seeing driverless taxis on the road right here in the UAE. I'm going to be chatting with Britta Lang. She's a psychologist that specializes in driver's education and training to find out how autonomous vehicles will affect how we behave on the roads. But right now, I'm going to ask you, would you lend your car to a stranger for extra cash? Uh, I'm going to ask straight up, Noel, what do you think about that? No. No. <laughs> but then your I, cars are very precious well yeah exactly and uh, i don't think anyone would want to drive my cars either which is another way of looking well at i could because so, I, yeah. I know you too well i could ask you which ones are actually on the road right now and which oh, ones are not <laughs> yeah that's a, there's a tough question the reason why we're asking that is because car rental company eCar has launched an airbnb for cars in saudi arabia and there are plans to bring it here into the UAE. And joining us in the studio is eCar founder Wilhelm Hedberg. Uh, good morning, Wilhelm. Morning. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. Pleasure to have you in, in the studio. Now, this concept is, uh, isn't is new to homes, uh, but it's certainly new to cars, and uh, at least here in, in the region. It's the Airbnb of cars. That's the, the best way I can think of to, to describe it. You rent your vehicle out for cash. Tell us how it works. Precisely. Yeah. So thanks, Damien. Um, effectively... Uh, eCar has been around for six years now. So we've, we've, we've mastered the art of the car share, right? We understand how that system works. In 2019, we're the highest utilized car share in the world uh, was our Dubai service. So cars are now effectively floating around the city. You can unlock them with the app. And we thought to ourselves, look, we're already empowering the car rental cars to come on board under revenue share. Why not open this thing up for people to put their own personal owned vehicles on the app itself? Um, and the differentiator that we have from the likes of sort of Turo and these other peer-to-peer uh, players uh, globally is that we install the telematics unit in your personally owned vehicle. So you have tracking, tracing of the car. You get the health diagnostics of it. You even get driver scoring of how well you're driving. Okay. But also it allows you to, uh, at the touch of a button, activate your car on the car sharing platform. And then you can make money in your wallet, which we pay you on a monthly basis. Okay, so it kind of mixes a little bit of Airbnb and a bit of Uberish kind of thing in terms of rating the, the the vehicle and the driver, so it keeps you responsible. Precisely. So rather, so sort of Airbnb is the key handover uh, concept, right? You have mm-hmm. you actually get connected via Airbnb. You meet the owner of the of the unit, right? And then you have to meet and do a key handover. Same kind of idea in the old school way of doing peer to peer with cars. You would meet the owner of the car, which is kind of a pain. And then they would give you the key and then you have to deal with that. But this is all 
contactless, right? So you're, you're, you're basically, you can uh, open up your vehicle or host your vehicle, as we say, outside your home or office. When you're at work, you're not needing it. And someone literally can just walk up to the car, unlock it with the app, doesn't have to talk to you, mm. nothing. And then just dri- bring, brings the car back within the time frame that you allowed that car to be rented for. What, what about insurance? How, where, where does the owner stand? Should their car be damaged when, when they're not driving it? All the cars are fully insured. So we have both insurance that we provide ourselves in Saudi Arabia as well as you can actually have your own fully full coverage that falls within the peer-to-peer allowance in Saudi Okay, and to flip the other way around for the renter, how do they protect themselves from, let's say, the owner claims damage after they return the car that clearly wasn't there, a curbed wheel, for example, or something like that? Right, so the app actually requires you at the beginning and the end of the trip to take photos, four pictures of the of the outside of the vehicle, as well as pictures of the outside of the vehicle when you end your booking, right? So there's full tracking and tracing on the vehicle itself. Yeah, no. Yeah, so how does it work as far as fuel is concerned? Because obviously I hate to bring up the, uh, the, the <laughs> subject that's on everybody's lips, but um, obviously you fill your car up, you sat there, somebody borrows it, and they bring it back. How do they have to top it back up to where it was, or how does that work? Yeah, if you bring the if you bring the car back with less than a quarter of a tank, we charge you for that, right? So you instantly get charged for that. And we reimburse the uh, the owner themselves. But e- all the cars will be installed with both telematics as well as VIP fueling. So you as a as a renter, if the fuel were to go below, below a certain level, you can take that car to any um, petrol station in, in Saudi automatically fuels up and we credit you 15 minutes of drive time as oh, well wow. for that time. Okay, okay. Yeah. fantastic. Now, it, it, it's a trend that, that is growing globally. Accenture did some research and found that, uh, as you've just pointed out, the number of peer-to-peer car sharing vehicles globally has grown from around about 200,000 in 2015 to more than 440,000 in 2020. Um, and that figure is expected more than double by 2025, according to Accenture. The Peer-to-peer market is also expected to grow allegedly by $221 billion by 2020, 2030 rather, in China, the US and Germany. Uh, where does the Middle East stand in all of this? Do you, do you see how, – how do you see the, the, the growth of this across the Gulf? So this in, entire idea is really nascent. It's just at the beginning stages. In Saudi, there's about four companies that have just started kind of a mom-and-pop garage-built technology stuff. You know, eCar, we're a company. We've we've raised $35 million to date. We have a very robust tech stack, our own operating system. So we feel very comfortable that we can have a big presence in this market. There's 2 million um, Saudi-owned cars, which is part of the regulation. It has to be Saudi-owned, Saudi-registered vehicles. That is our total addressable market. So a ton of vehicles. And, of course, Damien, I don't need to tell you about the supply chain issues and the chip shortages and all this other stuff that's going on that's impacting the car rental uh, space, right? There's not a lot of new cars coming through. Mm. So what better way to be uh, be able to get uh, tourists and, and residents alike you know, cheap mobility, cheap forms of rentals, rather than using this, um, you know, huge resource, which are these vehicles that are otherwise, you know, parked for 95% of their their, their lifetime, right? Yeah. That, that, that was something I was going to add, is that it, with most cars, mm. they spend most of their time not being driven. Well, right? exactly. Yeah. So I mean, uh, our, our three cars right it. now are sitting downstairs, right? Yeah, right. exactly. So, so exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the other side of it, to flip the other side, I know you mentioned Turo. I've, I've seen Turo app in, in the United States, particularly because I like the look of the fact, you, the thought of getting a classic car or getting something unusual. No, you've you said that perhaps you wouldn't want to put your car on the app, but what about renting? 
a classic car if you had the opportunity, uh, uh, you know, an old uh, 2002 BMW or an old Chev Camaro or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the – and especially if you think of uh, – I don't know how – how the app would work as far as non-UAE uh, license holders. But uh, if for tourists coming to town, if they mm. want to rent a cool car or something like that, that could quite easily be something that's on the app and uh, they can just on they go and happy days. Of course, know, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and just to touch on that kind of Turo piece, that a lot of these more, more uh, traditional uh, peer-to-peer providers are more of an experienced driver, meaning they host their vehicle, you do the key handover, but they'll host like a Tesla or maybe like a Porsche. And these kinds of cars, you'll see them come up quite a bit um, and because be- people come and rent them for the day. Mm. Um, whereas eCar, we're, we really are a short-term mobility provider. So we're yeah. taking the car and monetizing the minute, right? So we're, we're allowing people to get into that space themselves. So we've, we've, we've learned that some of these traditional peer-to-peer players sometimes only have one user use a car maybe once or twice a year. Yeah, right? yeah. Whereas e-car, you know, our active users can easily use a car once or twice a day, except different cars, right, just to move around the city. So a little bit different of an attack and approach that we have to, to peer-to-peer, more on the yeah. sort of short-term mobility front than mm-hmm. it is as an experienced driver to drive a classic car, let's say. Yeah, I, was, I had a very interesting conversation with a futurist uh, a while ago where he was saying how people will start to buy three or four cars as an investment that they never drive themselves yeah and mm. they just put onto these platforms like oh, it's, yours, hap- it's and, happening yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they naturally never it's not a car they have their own car and then they own four cars that are just out there in the ether it's like an investment it's like buying stocks and shares yeah it's amazing uh, yeah amazing. actually so so bear with us we're trying to come up with a name but for right now it's called e-car entrepreneur right mm. and what what the what they are effectively are people just like you're saying right they're, they're they're purchasing vehicles and putting them out on the platform because they know i mean we pull up 1.3 million data records every day data points every every day from the telematics mm. units we get 16 readings from latitude longitude car unlock lock accelerometer everything combine that with you know username profile age sex whatever and then we get all this data so I know with a degree of accuracy that you wouldn't believe how well your car is, is going to do renting out at what part of Media City or wherever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I know how that's going to perform. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so you know, we, we, we know that these people hosting the vehicles, if, if the car gets rented for more than, let's say, eight days a month, you're in the money on average. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, so let's – okay, you just mentioned that briefly. Let's, let's get down to the grubby business before we, before we wrap up. Um, how much can Saudis earn from lending their cars? Yeah, so it depends on the car model, right? So if you're yeah. renting out a Tesla, you're, you're, we can charge much, much higher for that, right? Yeah. So, but on, on average, the basic math is that with, with your cost that you're paying monthly for a vehicle, if you can hit north of eight days of rental per month, then you're in the money. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, it, and so P, uh, e-car entrepreneurs, let's say, that are then going to, let's say, dedicate a car for a full month, they're making a, a, a good sum of money. They're making right. a very nice uh, return on their investment. Now, it's just been launched in, in Saudi Arabia. Plans to roll it out here in the UAE? We'd love to. So we, I know we've been in discussion with the RTA. Right now, it's in the UAE, as, as per federal law, it's not yet approved. So we need to go through those steps to, to, you know, to allow this to happen. But if anyone can do it, it's eCar, right? So we're prepared. We really want to get this kickstarted. The, the government of Saudi has been very supportive, and we're hoping that uh, the, you know, the UAE will follow suit. 
Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Wilhelm, uh, from ICA. Um, really looking forward to seeing how this, how this plays out. There's more to come on Motormania. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Yes, this is Motormania with you all the way through until midday. And it's a, a heavy EV day because uh, we've just been talking about uh, e-car and, we've, and uh, we're now speaking to a man who is turning petrol cars into electric vehicles. Salman Hussein of Fuse has joined us live in the studio as well. He's a proud owner of an electric Volkswagen Beetle and uh, he's going to tell us how he's do it, how he's done that and how he's going to keep doing it. I'm still joined, of course, in the studio by fellow motoring journalist Noel Ebden. And as we said, we're talking all things EV. Salman is the founder of Fuse. Um, he and his team upcycle classic cars. In their own words, we combine new powertrains with classic car charm. Um, so good morning, Salman. Welcome to the studio. Good morning, Damien. And uh, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here after you know, hearing your show for such a long time. Pleasure. Absolutely pleasure to have you in the studio because you're talking about something that's very interesting and it's taking the world by storm, if I can put it that way. Tell us about what Fuse does. So in a nutshell, what we do is we take classic cars and then we take the powertrain out of it that's petrol and switch it for EV. Now, this trend has been happening in the UK and Europe and in, in, in the USA for a long, long time. In fact, EV West were doing this five, ten years ago. Uh, and what we did was we got the uh, we got the powertrain from EV West, and we've brought those parts in and tried that here locally built in the UAE. Uh, so we're using American parts, we're using Tesla Model S batteries, and we're putting that into a classic car so that it can run on electric and can run you know using a cleaner drivetrain. Okay, so what, what considerations before deciding what considerations do you look at before deciding to turn a classic car into an electric vehicle? But there's a, there's a lot of things that we have to look at. You know, I mean, packaging, for example, is a is a big one. You have to see where the batteries go. For a Beetle, for example, ideally you'd have them half in the back, half in the front, and then you have to figure out, especially local considerations. So that's something that we are doing now. We're putting in cooling systems that uh, California wouldn't have to think about, or Europe wouldn't have to think about. Um, in addition to that, obviously performance, because you know this market is it's they they don't like uh, weak let's say weaker cars and tesla has sort of put everybody on that uh, on that high the ev high mm. and in that case so we, we're looking to over we're looking to power the car with more than it used to have so in the beetle for example it, uh, it's a 1600 it's the late fuel injected one that's about 50 to 60 horsepower and what we've done is we've put in a 120 horsepower net gain motor uh, that spins up to 8,000 RPM. So oddly enough, that's still manual. It's a manual electric car that we still have to go through the gearing on. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. okay. So is it is it a liquid-cooled battery or air-cooled battery? So we actually liquid refrigerant cooling the batteries. At so this you point. have to install radiators in a cooling system? That's right. Because obviously the Beetle is famously air-cooled. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually true. So we've, uh, we've, we've got a system which uh, cools both the batteries, the motor controllers, um, and obviously, there's an AC unit for uh, you know blower for the for the passengers inside. Uh, so the whole thing is air cooled. Uh, we're still working out some kinks on it, but essentially, it should be you know up and running and up against the desert heat, even the peak summer. So when when you say it still has a gearbox or a transmission, how does that work? Uh, it's funny you ask that because there's two real ways to do it, and then the way that we've done it is to adapt the motor to work with the current transmission. So the transmission. Beyond the motor, it's exactly the same as it used to be with the engine. So you'd have the, uh, you know, the clutch, the gearbox, all of that stuff is still the same. The Beetle has a transaxle, so the Mm -hmm. gearbox and the axle are connected, and that's what we do. We basically have just a motor adapted in, 
and then it just r- runs exactly the same. I don't know about you, Noel, but I want to take this car for a drive. I think we should take it for a drive together. I think you, you and I should go out for a cruise. I think so, yeah. Um, I, one of my questions straight away is, is, is there a, are there cars that, are, uh, that you can't uh, electrify? So is there, for example, does weight come into it? So if you had a huge, great big, say, Cadillac, for example, um, is it just a case of putting a bigger motor and more batteries, or is it just too heavy and it wouldn't work as an electric car? Is, is there any limitations, basically, or can anything be uh, electrified? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned this one because there's um, somebody that I know who's hmm. already doing an electric um, vintage Cadillac. Um, I think it's the um, it's the drop top 1969 Continental. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, and it's 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 a beautiful little thing. It's about three ton off the off the block exactly. straight away. Isn't yeah, it? <laughs> yeah. He's putting it, he's putting in quite a bit quite a bit of battery. He's put the biggest Tesla motor in there to to make it work, and it's uh, it's a gorgeous thing. So, you know, and as long as you can package it in, and as long as you can power it up right, I think most things can be done. But the thing that we're trying to stay away from for two reasons is uh, doing modern cars. A, because there's a lot of interdependent systems that Mm. you have to correct for. So like fuel sensors and things like that. Mm. And then the other thing is obviously the regulations because in Dubai, classic car registrations go through a different entity as you you know. Uh, And then Charger has its own with the old car club. So it's a little bit easier to get the registration and get the car on the road with a classic conversion, then it would be for a modern car. Mm. So, so what, what are the um, – you, you mentioned before about the heat here. Some of the challenges that, that someone faces to, to uh, upgrade a classic car and also what would be the cost for someone who wanted to turn up to you with your, for instance, your VW Beetle and drive out as an electric Beetle? For something like what we've done, I would say the cost would be probably around starting from 120000 and mm-hmm. then going up. Uh, obviously, we have a couple of, you know, kind of tiers. So if you wanted to go with, you know, all out a Tesla motor with lots and lots of batteries, you know, we'd be looking at close to 300,000. And there'd be a lot of other work that you need to do as well, because these cars, you know, when they were made, uh, safety was not always the... <laughs> That's another issue I was yeah. going to bring up. Okay, you've got a car that has gone from pretty much 55 horsepower to 130 horsepower plus. Is there anything that is is it the onus then on the owner to upgrade things like brakes and suspension, or is that something that you do as well? So we actually pretty much mandate that uh, you should do a couple of the upgrades. For example, for the Beetle, because there's extra now weight, there's a, it's heavier by about 100 kilos. We've mm. installed race suspension in there, and we're going to do some chassis stiffening as well uh, coming in. And that's a recommendation that we give out not just for the safety, but also the driving experience varies a lot because, as you know, Noel has actually an old chassis, and you know how those things are. They're like paper thin, the yeah. chassis of yeah. the old Beetle. So, uh, you know, we, we, we have the recommendations that we put out apart from the conversion as well, Yeah, upgraded brakes and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking to myself of a... Te- a, a big Tesla motor in a car with drum brakes is uh, that's going to be an interesting experience in and not in necessarily in a good way. So yeah, you would definitely have to yeah, absolutely. Uh, do something. Yeah, it's funny because yeah. you mentioned that no one, uh, no, you know, for the longest time we were running on just the just the brakes alone, and yeah. braking was challenging. But then we installed regen because uh, regeneration is something yes. that happens. And as soon as you did that, you know, you you experienced the extra braking, and now I feel a lot safer in the same car. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Because yeah. so. I mean, going back, we had a had a VW Beetle. We converted it from thirteen hundred cc to eighteen hundred cc, and we we warped the drum brake straight away because the, it wasn't built for that. So we converted that to a disc brake thing. But uh, but that's still only incremental compared to what you're talking about yeah. in terms of horsepower improvements. But as you say regen brakes. Now that's another big issue for those who aren't aware. There, it, it basically it's when you lift off the gas 
you're you're recovering the energy that's going back through the braking system to top up the top up the battery again. But that also, in its own way, acts as a mild braking effect, doesn't it? That's right. Yeah, actually, in our case, we can dial it in or down based on the controller settings, and so we've been trying it around just to make sure that the experience is just right. So we're really doing a lot of R and D out here, including like heat testing it and flooring it, you know, to a certain extent. When you were talking earlier about price, I mean, it's not it's not a cheap undertaking to convert a car, um, depending depending on what it is. If you've got a classic car that's worth, you know, half a million dirhams then the cost is not so bad but if you're buying uh, a beta or an old mini or something like that that's not going to cost you so much money then obviously plowing that money into it is um, a fair amount can you do it incrementally i could you convert it to electric with some batteries and then later add more batteries or move to a bigger motor then add the regen and do it sort of over time so people can kind of start the journey and over time work their way forward with it? I think yes and no. Uh, You can definitely do it in a modular way because the way we're developing the system, you can add more batteries even now if I wanted to, right? The Mm. battery is actually the most expensive thing. So our batteries cost about $300 or about 1,000 dirhams a kilowatt. Mm. So you can do the math on that depending on the range you want. Um, But apart from that, I think the rest of the work kind of has to be done. So there is a minimum cost to it. Uh, but ha- having said that, there's absolutely the way that you can do it mm. uh, in the way in in the in the fashion that you described. The only thing I would say is that you know if you kind of want to go for it, um, the kind of people that want to do a classic car and convert it to EV might not be the ones that. Because a lot of people tell me this: Do you want to? Why why won't I just get a Tesla? And I said, you know, it's it's a different market. Like if mm. you want that, mm. that's the latest and greatest. It's got everything. You know, it's like an app on wheels. Uh, whereas what we do is we kind of give you a bit more driving experience, a bit more of uh, you know personality mm. with your car. So it's a different uh, it's a different market. Well, f- funnily enough, um, Demi and I were discussing this on the Media Media, and we were saying how some uh, cars would suit an electric conversion yeah. better, not because of um, technical issues, but purely by character. I- I'd love to do an old Rolls Royce, for example, because it's ideal for electric because it's supposed to be they quite were, quiet. They were know? built to run silently exactly, anyway, weren't they? Exactly, so. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Salman, very quickly, what's your next project? What's coming up next? Are you still flat out with Beatlemania or are you, what are you working on now? No, actually, the thing is that uh, as we speak, we're closing on a, on a classic Nissan Patrol, a Y60. Ah. And so we'll be launching this project coming out soon because this is something that we want to get into, 4x4s and, you know, desert electric off-roaders. I know that uh, we spoke earlier about the Hummer EV. There's a lot of cars coming in. But I feel like there's a real space for classic cars that are 4x4 and electric. And, it's, and, and regionally centric as well. Yeah. 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 So yeah. regionally, everyone's going to want that. So, yeah. Brilliant. Well, look, thank you so much, uh, Salman Hussain, founder of Fuse, uh, who's bringing classic cars into the EV world. And uh, we look forward to, uh, to seeing what the next project's going to, how it's going to turn out. Thank you so much, Damien. It's been a pleasure. This is Motomania. More coming up next on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yes, this is Motor Mania, and it's been a very, very busy show. I'm joined in the studio by motoring journalist Noel Ebden, and uh, we're now talking about something that I've not actually, you know, I've not really thought about until uh, until very recently. Because recently, it was announced that Dubai would be launching driverless taxi service by 2023. Now that means that by next year. We'll be driving alongside autonomous vehicles on the roads, which is uh, we're going to be one of the first cities in the world to be to be doing this. Um, it's going to feel a bit weird. I'm not sure, but anyway, 
joining us now on Microsoft Teams and also joining us on Facebook Live, we are now on Facebook Live, is uh, Britta Lang. Britta uh, is a psychologist specialising in driver's behaviour and traffic. Good morning, Britta. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be there. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you have you with us this morning. Uh, Britta, yeah, you've, you've, you've tweaked something that I've actually not really thought about, and that is the fact that uh, with autonomous vehicles on the roads now, um, we're going to have to adapt in the way we approach our own driving. Is that correct? Or our mindset, rather? Yes, I think so. I think it's going to be uh, very exciting and uh, certainly a, a, an innovation in sort of sharing the road space with vehicles that are driverless. Um, I think what probably lots of people are probably a little bit afraid uh, of the experience because they just don't quite know what they're going to like to be. Um, but it's definitely sort of an exciting development. Why do you think that uh, that it might actually change drivers' behaviour? Wouldn't it be a situation of, a, of a, pulling up next to a car and going, well, you know what you're doing because you're a computer. I'm just going to carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually, there's quite a lot of research that's currently being done on how people react and other road users react to autonomous or driverless vehicles because these are all open questions. How do people behave? And there's um, it's sort of the, um, it's still an not fully resolved kind of question of whether, for example, and we also know that there's cultural differences in how people, for example, react to driverless vehicles. There was a big study that came out in 2020 that looked at um, other road users' behavior in the Netherlands, in Mexico, and in the US towards driverless vehicles. And what the study found was that the reactions in Europe, for example, were very different to those vehicles than the ones in Mexico, where people sort of approached them rather playfully. In the Netherlands, there, there tended to be a little bit of uncertainty and certainly greater caution towards those vehicles. So it's, it's, it depends where you are. And it's a question for research, for sure. Like everything on the roads these days, it's also about how the, the, the cultural behaviour of the region you're in, I guess, as well. Um, what are some of the things that we can prepare ourselves for when we when that day does come in, in a few months' time, you, where you're going to pull up and you'll see a car next to you with no one in the front seat whatsoever? And maybe it's indicating to move into your lane. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, how can we prepare? I think... One of the biggest things is to to get familiarized with the technology. So um, what what we also know from research is that we we are kind of afraid of the things we don't know. So having the ability to to try something and sort of get to get to sit in a driverless car ourselves is going to be um, helpful in learning about them and learning about their behavior. At the end of the day, the driverless vehicles only do the things we, we teach them to do or we program them to do. They are the robots, so we are the ones that that programs that technology to behave in exactly the way um, we want them to. And what's important to know, I think, is there's a lot of research that's going into making sure that those vehicles are safe or if they can't operate properly because, for example, their sensors are not all working as they should, that those vehicles fail safe. So that means they come to a complete stop. So then what are some of your, uh, your, your top tips when you, when you say you see the car there, um, how you approach driving next to and mixing in the traffic with the car? Is, is it, again, a little bit like, and I'll bring Noel Ebden in on this as well, being a motorcycle rider, looking ahead and being aware of the, of the car around you? 
I think that's a very good technique. Um, so you should always be aware of the cars around you, whether whether they are driverless or not. Um, I think sort of awareness in traffic is one of the things that keeps us help to really keep us safe. Um, I think a lot of the time, again, sort of I'm just quoting a pedestrian study, a lot of the time they found in testing driverless vehicles that the pedestrians didn't even really look at who was driving the vehicle. It's only if something goes wrong that we sort of try and establish eye contact and then go like, oops, there's nobody in there. Um, but but uh, so so it's a, it's a good question in how far you would actually notice uh, that the vehicle next to you is driverless. So are we going to sort of mark them uh, in a particular way so they stand out? and allow us other drivers as human drivers to to modify our behavior or are they just going to blend in that that's uh, I, I don't know that but i do think sort of you know if you ask me personally i would presumably sort of be a little bit cautious at the beginning watch exactly what that driverless vehicle is doing how it's how it's behaving to sort of get a feel for what i'm dealing with so um observation in traffic would be my my response i think yeah, I'm going to ask Noel, Noel Ebden, as, as a motorcyclist, Noel, how would you feel being on a motorcycle knowing that there's cars around you, say in, a, in rush hour situation, where it's being driven by zeros and ones in a computer somewhere? Yeah, I mean, yeah, when we're on the road, we're, we're the curveball, I guess, aren't we? Where mm. cars are, uh, when you look at car traffic, you know, it's uh, it has to follow the car in front, you can't. I mean, but bikes can lane split. They can go down the middle of the road mm. in, in some countries and some not, some states, some not. Um, I assume that that's been factored in. It must have been because obviously you also have cyclists, you have uh, other road users, you have all sorts of things. I mean, in, in in my country, in the UK, for example, you might have horses on the road. I mean, these cars have to be able to understand all of these yeah. things and, and how they relate to the uh, general road, you know, road, road traffic, yeah. basically. So, yeah. yeah, I'd certainly be cautious. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Britta, uh, Britta, you've spent a lot of time in the UAE. You know the road situation mm. here and the driving situation here. How do you think drivers in the UAE will react knowing that uh, you know, we've all come from different backgrounds? We all, a lot of us have, well, most of us have driving licenses from different countries and it's it's been joined into the, into the UAE. So we all have different concepts on driving. <laughs> and it's been an issue for, for for decades here. How do you think motorists here might behave to uh, to the, to this technology? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. I'd love to do a study on that to find out. Um, for sure, you, you you were mentioning cultural differences, and it is true that sort of um, Dubai is is a bit of a melting pot of more than 150 nationalities that are all come together and share the same road environment. Um, but I think what's also true is Dubai, if you think about uh, the city, it's, it's a very forward-looking, innovative place uh, that embraces technology, that embraces new ideas of doing things smarter and better. And um, so I do think that maybe more than elsewhere, I would hazard the guess that people are more inclined to, to give it a go and sort of and collect first-hand experience. Yes, of course, be cautious about it, but... But also, it's a it's a very well maintained traffic system um, that uh, follows a clear set of rules, and uh, and I'm sure that the implementation of the driverless taxis will have um, a lot of um, input from from safety specialists to to minimise and mitigate the risks for all the road users. So, but um, it would be a fantastic study to run for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, fantastic, uh, Britta Lang. It's been so good to have you uh, to have you uh, with us on Motor Mania this morning to um, 
highlight something that's been something that honestly I hadn't really thought about until we had this discussion and I'll be looking forward to seeing how that all unfolds with driverless taxis hitting our roads next year. Uh, Britta Lang, automotive psychologist, thank you so much for your for your time this morning. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Damien. Thanks very much. Well, that's about all we've got time for here for this edition of Motormania. Thank you to all of those who texted in and all of our guests. It's been such a, a busy, busy morning. It's been fantastic. Um, thank you, Noel. Noel, you're, uh, you've got plans this afternoon or this evening? Yeah, I'm doing the Pirelli track day at uh, Dubai Autodrome. So uh, I'll be taking my car up there. So, uh, yeah, a bit of track time for, for once. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, which is good. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, that's that's it for this, uh, for this weekend. And then uh, back to it next week. There's more to come on Motormania. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Fix it or flip it. So what we need you to do, we need you to tell us about your car and we will tell you how much it's worth. This is how it works. It's quite easy. We need the details about your car, the make, the model, the year, the colour and the mileage. Send them to 4001 via the ARN player. And of course, it's not me that's doing the hard work. The uh, The engine room is uh, the valuation guru, Matthew Davison, who is the head of pricing at Algo Driven. Great to have you back again. How's the Tesla going? We were talking about electric cars. Um, you've uh, you're, you're a recent convert buying this Tesla last time we spoke. Yeah, morning, Damien. Um, I mean, what a time to to switch to electric and, and enjoy free recharging when fuel prices have never been so high. Um, you know, I, you know for, what is it now? 3.2 for um, special at the pump. It's getting a bit crazy out there. Yeah, I mean, we, we had you on the business breakfast talking about it. Um, we just heard from Tom in the Springs saying that uh, uh, also about the Airbnb cars. I'll get your thoughts on that in a moment. But, but we had you on the business breakfast talking about uh, electric vehicles um, with, with the way things are going. And y- yes, you're right. You know, petrol prices are going a little bit crazy right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm a couple of weeks into having the Tesla and it's been um, everything I, I thought it would be and more. Um, it's just so futuristic in, in, in a software sense and a tech sense, but also just the ability to move around Dubai. Um, you know, I went to Ikea, I recharged there. I had a meal at the Montgomery um, Golf, uh, the restaurant at the Montgomery, and I charged there. I, so charging anxiety is not an issue for me. Um, I, I lost the car for a few days this week. It went in for PPF at Auto Mystique Car Care AMCC. And I always recommend to everybody, if you're buying a brand new car and you in, you intend to keep it for a few years, always protect your investment and, and get um, a PPF. That's a, a, a plastic film that goes over the paintwork and, and protects it. So that's some great advice. But, you know, from an EV perspective, I think this is the catalyst that uh, the EV has been waiting for. And there's definitely no doubt now that EVs here to stay after this recent hike in in oil, which has resulted in in higher fuel at the pumps. Yeah. And interesting, interestingly enough, I've been looking a lot at the BMW um, iX, um, uh, or sorry, One X, which is um, coming out uh, shortly. And you know, the legacy manufacturers are starting to do a pretty nice job with um, the conversion to electric now. I mean, that car, 600-plus kilometer range, um, a pretty swift uh, sub-five-second 0 to 60, and and all the luxury you expect from BMW. So, you know, the 1X is something that I'm looking forward to getting behind the wheel. I don't know about you. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I just spent time in this Renault, and we're going to discuss that in the second half of the show. But that is, uh, you know, um, 
sixty kilowatt hour battery, and uh, it's it's a it's a very sports car like to drive, if I can say that. But uh, yeah, it seems to be the way that we're going. It's a very EV heavy show today, as an, as an example. Um, another one I'd like to ask you just quick before we get into uh, the messages because they're starting to come through is um, with eCar that we're talking to later on the Airbnb of cars. Now, would you uh, would you lend your Tesla out for cash? Well, it's interesting, actually, because when Airbnb first launched, you'd probably say, no way would I have strangers in my house. And here we are with um, Airbnb being a huge success. I don't think, you know, once the pandemic dies down, I think that is a company that's going to fly. So, um, you know, personally, no. Um, based on the cars that I own, I certainly wouldn't give them to a stranger. But, you know, if you look at a, a, a person that's got... Um, a car that they that they maybe aren't using as much as they want, but they still need it, and they can see an opportunity to extract some money. I can see where it could possibly work. But, you know, here in the UE, a lot of us have some nice cars that we work very, very hard to, to get. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that... Um, those people are going to go anywhere near this service, but I think there is there is a market for it for sure. Yeah, well let's uh, let's get into some messages, but before that, please uh, text us at four double zero one or via the ARN player if you're looking to maybe buy an EV. If you want some EV advice, Matthew's your man right now, the man who owns one right now, uh, or you're looking to sell a car get in touch with us ASAP. But in the meantime, Sean uh, has text us, texted in, and he has a Mazda 6 3 2018 model GX, and it's red, and he's got 102,000 kilometres on the clock. Yeah, nice car, and um, will be very attractive to sell it right now because, you know, still essentially a four-year-old car, um, 102,000 is a good time to exit the car, but that car will fetch in the market right now 60K because there's not a lot out there so sean put it on for just above sixty thousand dirhams and you should receive sixty thousand. yeah the master is a, is a bit of a sleeper mark here still in the uae isn't it i mean you know other, other mark other parts of the world's very popular brand but um and it's a good quality vehicle i've got to say the the, the ones that i've driven the particular cx is very very good but um good value as a result because they're not really as well known as the other japanese brands yeah, and, and, you know, going up, the, the, the slightly bigger CX-5 and then the seven-seat CX-9, um, uh, you know, those CX-9s tend to come on the market and go straight off again mm. because having that extra room and, and the ability to move uh, seven people around is very attractive. And you're right, super reliable, um, you know, relatively cost-effective to maintain. So certainly it's a good option to look at. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another one here, 2014 Infinity QX60. This came in from Usera. It's the luxury edition. It's black. Uh, and again, just over 100,000 kilometres, 109,000 kilometres on the 2014 Infinity QX60. Yeah, yeah. And another popular car here and a good time as well to get out of it as, as the owner of the car. But they're, they're holding their value quite well. I would imagine around 50,000 dirhams you'd get for that in the market. Um, and, and it, you know, it's the, the luxury arm of, of Nissan, as we know. So uh, it, there's a lot of people that appreciate Infinity here. I think it's a very good market for them, the, the Middle East. Yeah, it is one of the very few markets. that They don't export to many markets. They predominantly export to the United States uh, and, uh, and, and parts of Northern Europe, but uh, not too many other markets. So we're, we're in, a, in a funny position here to receive these cars. Now, the new Infinity QX60 hit the market this year, uh, end of last year as well. So do you think that would impact uh, the value of these earlier ones? Uh, normally it would, definitely. But we're in this, this uh, you know, insane situation where we've got so much 
um, pressure on used cars. You know, we know that the last uh, few years of, of the last decade, you know, 2018, 19 weren't great for, for new car sales. And then 2020 was non-existent. Uh, 21 suffered from logistics and chip shortages. So, you know, you have to look at um, what is a used car now and when it was actually sold. And these last few years, we haven't been selling new cars. So, um, they will come onto the market and be very attractive, uh, but they're not going to put so much pressure on the used cars because there isn't enough inventory out there right now. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, don't forget, uh, text us at 4001 via the ARN Play app, and we'll tell you what your car is worth if you're looking to buy or sell. Just tell us the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage, and uh, we'll give you some great advice, just like we're about to uh, give advice for Alicia, who's also texted in, Matthew, she has a 2017 Renault Capture LE. It's off-white. It's mainly used for school runs and the supermarket trips and 62,000 kilometres on this one. Yeah, um, very, very practical car for exactly that, what she's using it for. Um, I would say early 40s right now for that car. Maybe around 42,000 dirhams is what I would see that sell for. Um, but again, it's at that price point where people, people want to buy sub-50K cars and that just sits nicely. It feels like a relatively new car still, and you can pick it up for early 40s. So, yeah, she'll she'll sell that relatively easily. Yeah, Renault is is, uh, is actually, it, again, a, bit, a little bit like uh, Mazda. It's, it's a bit of a sleeper in this market. Uh, you can get some really, really good – if you're looking for a car that is just – a car to do exactly what Alicia is using it for: school runs, supermarket trips. It's it's economical, it's reliable. Um, that's that's the one to go for. Yeah, and and I think it's um it's it what you know how can we call it entry level kind of car, um but you know for those for those jobs that you need just to move around the city you know, uh, to the shops, drop your kids off, et cetera, uh, where you don't, you know, you're not going to have long drives where the luxury element needs to come in. I think, I think it fills the void nicely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Fix it or flip it. Very simple. Tell us about your car and we'll tell you how much it's worth. And this is how it works. Just give us the details about your car, the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage. Send it to 4001 or via the ARN Play app. Good morning, George. George, hello. 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 Uh, yes, got you. Sorry. Yes, George. Yeah, good morning. Got me. Good morning. <laughs> so, uh, I believe you have uh, an Audi A4. Just tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah. Okay. So I've had this since 2016. Actually, it was 4,800 kilometres when I first bought it, and I bought that from Al Nabudi Alda Audi. Um, mm-hmm. I bought it. Uh, I think it, I don't know whether it was an ex demonstration car because it seemed to have such low mileage on it. Um, I purchased it around about 155,000 when I, when I bought it and I think it was 205 at the time it's a 2015 model and I'm interested to know what sort of valuation this would be it's 151,000 kilometers on the clock am I going to run into difficulties with the car in terms of parts replacing bits and pieces because it's a three liter v6 and I always think something a little bit more powerful are you going to find that parts and components are going to start to wear and tear is it worth selling it on now and getting something else uh, what's the thoughts yeah well before i pass you on to matthew uh in terms of running costs for the, for these cars they do start to add up as the years and the kilometers start to wind up particularly with the the, the v6 and the larger capacity engine audis uh i know that the the, the v6 model yeah you, you you're going to start running into a few servicing costs but matthew what, what are your thoughts on that one yeah i mean it's a good time to move away from that car because you know, we're, we're now going to come into seven seven year 
years of, of that car being around. And I think in terms of um, it being the, the bigger engine, that's more desirable to sell it because they do a much smaller 1.8 four-cylinder and two-liter engines. So the V6 is definitely more appealing. Um, but you're, you're right. This is the time where it can start uh, costing money because of the kilometers as well. You know, we're up, we're up at... Um, 150,000 kilometers, you know, nearly 100,000 miles. So, look, I, I do believe it's a good time to sell it. In, in terms of value, uh, there won't be many of them on the market because most of the ones on the market are the smaller four-cylinder engines. I think it could be up as much as 85,000. Uh, it might even uh, sell it eventually for 80, but um, that's that's where I feel the value might be, mainly because of the higher kilometers. Um, but it would be a good time to move on now. Well, I'm actually pleasantly surprised you mentioned 80K because just as we came into the pandemic, I mean, I had it advertised for 65. And uh, and I think I had one or two people come and have a look at the car, but no com- no one committed to buy. So And that was around about 120,000 kilometers at that time. So I'm actually very surprised that you've given it that valuation. So it might be a really good time to sell. Yeah, we live in a completely different world now. Um, used car prices uh, globally uh, are, are insane, in my opinion. I mean, I see I see cars that are some cars selling for more than they, they were even new because there's such a shortage of cars in, in the market. Some of the really desirable cars I'm talking about. Um, but no surprise, we're seeing it across the board. The, the issue that that, um, that buyers are facing at the moment is lack of inventory. So, you know, just... Just 2015 um, A4s, you're not going to find that many of them out there on the market, um, you know, anyway. But the V6s, you know, I doubt there's even more than one or two for sale. Have a look yourself. Um, but oh, just in lost Matthew there for a moment. But oh. uh, yeah, so, so George, yeah. So selling works. Oh, there we yeah. go. Got you back again, Matthew. Sorry, did you lose me? Just just for briefly there, yeah. Yeah, um, so I'm just saying that it's it's always better to, in a market like this as well, to start higher and then you, you can be um, determined what you want to actually close the, the, the deal on. But have a look yourself at what, what the A4s are selling for on the market right now. I doubt you'll find a V6 anyway, um, so you'll be well above the four cylinders and, and then go from there. How does yeah, that sound, George? That's fantastic. No, that's perfect because I've been considering it and I've been thinking maybe to lease something even going into the EV market like yourself, uh, Matthew, and potentially looking at that. But if I can get 80 grand, I mean, that's a pretty decent deposit on a brand new vehicle. Yeah, yeah, and just be, be wary of the wait times on, on, on new cars now. I mean, plan ahead. So, you know, if you were going to order um, an EV car, don't be surprised if you don't receive it for six months. That's the kind of uh, waiting time you've got at the moment. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a long process. Yeah, absolutely, George. Well, I hope, hope that's uh, that's giving you some hope anyway. Um, so thanks, thanks very much. And on the line, um, we've got uh, Sujay. Now, Sujay has a um, uh, sorry, phoned in earlier. A Lexus E three fifty Platinum model, black with seventy four thousand kilometers. I'd like to know the current market price for a black Lexus uh, ES three fifty. Uh, it's a twenty eighteen model. Uh, it's done about seventy four thousand kilometers. It's the Platinum uh, full option uh, version. If, if it's a good value, then I'd, I'd consider uh, selling it and getting a new one. There you go, Matthew. Platinum uh, black Lexus ES350, 74,000 kilometres. Yeah, it got um, a facelift for 2022, the ES. Um, that car is around 110, 115,000 in the market right now. Another car that's, that's 
very sought after here. A lot of people um, love it. It's a super reliable sedan um, that's uh, also, uh, you know, got the luxury element being the Lexus. Um, but yeah, you're looking at 110, 115. Um, just be wary that 2022, there's a facelift uh, coming in. Uh, yeah. I think they're adding a S, uh, F, F Sport as well to um, the, the lineup. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, on the line, we've got uh, Mujahid. And Mujahid, you have a, a car that's that's very popular out in the market there, Toyota Prado 2009. Uh, tell us tell us about this, this Prado. Hi, George. Hi, Matthew. I have, uh, yeah, Prado 2009. Uh, I bought it uh, like five years ago. And uh, it's a second owner. And uh, it was 80,000 miles since uh, when I bought it four years ago. Now it's 339. And uh, for um, the water pump was um, broke, so I, it's overheated. So I have to recondition the whole car uh, mechanically. So now it's, uh, it's, when it was 179, I had um, the overheat and the, the engine gone. So it's a gray car and uh, four-cylinder. Okay, so, so it was. Uh, sorry, go on. So I'm just wondering how much can I get for that car? Yeah, so it sounds like a full engine recondition around about 179,000 kilometres. 339,000 uh, kilometres, Matthew. I mean, these things will stick around forever, but the, the miles are getting up on this one now. Yeah, one of the few cars that you can get away with it. We talk about this on the show quite often. You know, certain cars that seem to be Teflon when it comes to the higher kilometres. This car would still sell, providing that you get the water pump repaired and it's running running fine. This car would sell for around 40,000 dirhams. Um, still sought after. I mean, um, you, you might get 38 worst case scenario, but running, running well, um, you're looking at late 30s for this car. Mujahid, how, how does that sound? That's excellent. That's very good because um, I put in the market and um, I had few offers twenty nine thousand, twenty eight. So yeah, I have no sh- yeah. But the, these these people that are offering you that will be freelancers or, or people that trade cars, and they need to make sure they're making um, anything between six to ten thousand on a deal. So that makes perfect sense that they're offering you that much because they would then so put it to, out I, on the market. I have to sell it for private then. I have to yes, sell it for I mean, private. It, well, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. if you're asking, we, we always give end-user pricing on the show. But if you're looking at what the trade price would be, what um, uh, the, the cost that you would get for the car if you traded it in or of a, a dealer or freelancer bought it from you, yes, it would be very late 20s, 30000 And I have another car. Can I just give it? Very, very quickly, Mahaji. We've, we've got to go to an yes. outbreak, but very it's, quickly. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a Corolla 2015. It's full option. And uh, it's two point. And uh, it's, now it's uh, two, 209,000. So it, it, you broke a blip. You, you said Corolla, correct? Yes, yes, the Corolla. Yeah, the two-liter Corolla. It's full, of, um, yeah, again, full option. That, 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 that isn't as resistant to the kilometers as much as the... Um, the Prado would be, but that car very briefly would be um, probably late twenties, early thirties, so twenty-nine to thirty-one thousand. Okay, there we go. Thank Major. you very much. Um, yeah, sorry, sorry, I kept you for not a problem at all. Thank this, you very that's, much. that's what the show yeah. is for. Thanks very much, Mahajid. <laughs> Fix it.
or flip it. And we're going to go straight to the line because we've got uh, Mohammed on the phone. And uh, Mohammed, you've got a Honda CRV uh, 2018 model that you are looking to offload. Yeah, it's a two-wheel drive. Uh, by the way, good morning, guys. Uh, it's a two-wheel drive, which you call the LX model, and uh, it's agency maintained. And I am the first owner. Okay, so it's uh, it's around about you, you've said here sixty-nine thousand kilometers, uh, dark grey, agency maintained, two-wheel drive. Matthew, uh, what do you think about the CRV twenty eighteen model? Morning, Mohammed, and and thank you for being very precise with with the the, the details of the car. It helps to know uh, things like two wheel versus all wheel drive and LX. Um, so I'll give you a very precise valuation. I I say around seventy five thousand dirhams is that value in the market right now for a twenty eighteen LX. Um, nice car. Um, probably you could squeeze another year out of it. Um, if you needed to before you would sell it, I think optim- optimal time to sell would be in about a year's time um, because it will hold its value with, with what's going on in used car market currently. But if you did want to move now, around 75000 Thank you. Thank you. Great advice. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank, thank you very much, Mohammed. And uh, we'll go straight now to Peter. And uh, Peter, you, I believe you had a, a Ford Edge. Is that correct? Yeah, Ford Edge 2014 SEL in silver my wife's car we're just thinking maybe it's worth trying to trade it in now or get something better okay four days are very popular uh, uh matthew what do you what do you think yeah yeah i mean they they, they sit below the explorer five seat car um the sel is kind of mid-range you've got the uh limited above that and then the sport which is at the top about forty-five thousand with those kilometers it, it would be the market value right now Another car that's um, very popular with expats and, and will move relatively quickly. But if you put that car out there for 45, I, I see it moving quite quickly. Great. Wonderful. Thanks very much. No um, just a quick one. On electric vehicles, ones that are actually available in the marketplace, what would you recommend? Oh, that's, that's an open question. Um, there's a few on the market already. Depends how big your wallet is, because it ranges from a hundred thousand dirhams for for an MG ZS up to uh, um, eight hundred thousand dirhams for for a Porsche uh, Taycan. So, there's, I'm there's... test driving the Volvo on Monday at two forty. Okay, okay. This the C forty uh, recharge. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, really, really nice. Get, get, make sure you get some time into that. Um, that that will. Um, yeah, that that's. I'm guessing that's around about the two hundred thousand dirham mark. Uh, I can't remember exactly yeah. what the figure is, but but um, yeah, it, it's it. That is going to become a very competitive sector of the EV market. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I hear Polestar's going to start out here in a month or so. Yeah, Polestar's on the way. We're, we're hoping to have a chat with those guys uh, fairly soon, actually. Uh, they've got some exciting stuff. A new a new model, all-new model also has just been uh, previewed this week as well. So, yeah, some, some, good, cool. some good stuff coming. Cool. Great. Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks, Peter. No worries. We're going straight now to uh, Fabian. Fabian, you've got a bit of horsepower here, your 2013 Challenger SRT8 manual. That's right, yes. So you're looking to uh, you're looking to sell that car, get a value for it. That's correct. Brilliant. Um, how many how many uh, kilometres have you have you got on that one? Uh, a little Fabian? short of uh, forty five thousand. Okay, Matthew. So forty five thousand kilometres, two thousand thirteen uh, Dodge uh, Challenger SRT eight manual. Pretty desirable car, but what do you think about being able to shift that in this market? Uh, it is a very desirable car, but. Um I wouldn't want to own it with the fuel prices right now. <laughs> <laughs> it would, it would, it would drink through the fuel. Is it, is it a GCC car? Because that, that actually is really critical with, with uh, Dodges and Ford Mustangs and, and Chargers and stuff. 
Yes, it is. It is. Okay. Yeah, that that's really important. Good. Um, look, I, I think the value is probably around seventy thousand dirhams. Um, it is very, very desirable. Um, I, w- I would say the only fly in the ointment is people are genuinely, you know, considering uh, fuel costs. Um, you know, for the first time in, that, that I can remember, anyway, uh, where it's being talked about a lot. But uh, I put it out there at, at seventy to test the market, and then. Um, you can close a little bit under where you feel comfortable. But, yeah, there won't be many on the market, particularly um, 2013. So, yeah, try that and see how you go. All right, fine. Will do. Thanks a lot, guys. Great. Th- thanks very much, Fabian. Uh, and uh, Drew is on the line now. Ford, uh, Drew, you have a uh, Ford Fusion SE 2015, 151,000 kilometres, and you're looking to sell this as well? Yes. Hi, good morning. Yes, and it's a 2.5-litre engine. So I was wondering if the market has increased for these vehicles recently with the price increase in fuel. Yeah, and you're the second owner, I believe. That's correct. I bought it from Alpha Film, mm-hmm. and uh, I've had no major issues till now, no, no, no major workshops or anything like that. Okay, Matthew, again, another popular one, the, the Fusion 2015. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very... Um Reliable sedan, uh, very good for sort of going between Emirates. Um, the 2.5 uh, would be probably 36 to 38,000 right now. Um, and I think, you know, you need to be um, very, very conscious that uh, you, you highlight the best parts of that car. So make sure that you put the 2.5 in the headline. And, um, you know, if you've been maintaining it at Ford as well, that would be very important to get in the headline with this car. Yeah, no, I've not got it maintained from Ford, but uh, I've got regular maintenance done. Yeah, yeah, so, good. Yeah. Um, you know, put it out there, I would say 36 to 38K. Um, it should move relatively quickly in this market right now. Thank you so much. And would, should you advise me to keep it or sell it? Well, you're not going to lose a lot of money over the next couple of years because the situation we're in with used cars is not going away. Um, so, yeah, it, it, you know, people that are on the fence right now that that, are, that are thinking about selling it, you're not going to have massive depreciation over the next couple of years. So it's certainly an option to keep it. OK, that's that's good to know that. Brilliant. Thank you so much. No problem at all, Drew. And uh, and we go now straight to Madav. Madav, you've got uh, a very desirable car you see out on the roads there, 2017 model uh, a Mercedes G-Wagon G63. Uh, and you're looking to sell this one, is that correct? Yes, uh, that's correct. Okay, so it's uh, it's white, seventy five thousand kilometers, G sixty three. It's uh, it's it's a, a very desirable car out there. And uh, Matthew, um, what would you think about that seventy five thousand kilometers on the G sixty three? Yeah, the the you know the newer shape ones have filtered into the market, but there's still not enough of them. Um, and the G wagon is just so iconic here. It's that that's not going to go away. It just needs to be a whisker under three hundred thousand. I'd probably advertise this at two nine five. Um, just don't put it over three hundred thousand. Um, but yeah, that's that's where that's where it needs to be to move this car right now in the market. Okay, so so you think uh, keeping it for another year will potentially reduce the price, or is it a good time to sell? No, I, you know, I'd say what I uh, just said a moment ago. Um, you know, the, the used car market is not getting better. I mean, do, you know, if you think about it yourself, 
there was no cars sold in 2020 because of the, the you know the, the heart of the pandemic. So uh, in in 2024 there won't be many four-year-old cars. I mean, so you know we, we've got to look at it like this: um, the, the the situation we're in will not change until we get significant new cars back into the market. Uh, and I think it's going to take a couple of years to do that. So you're okay to keep this. I think um, another year down the line, this car will still be about 270, 275. You won't lose massive amounts of money. And for driving that car for another year, that's pretty good depreciation. Okay. Okay. Thank Br- you. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Madhav. And we've got uh, one more on the line. Chiron, you've got an interesting uh, uh, dilemma perhaps here, a situation with uh, your order that you've placed for a new Ford Ranger. Yeah, so I place the order, the car arrives next month, uh, but there's a, a new sort of next generation uh, with a lot of upgrades uh, in terms of technology coming out. I don't know when. It could be later this year. It could be early next year. Um, as it's a case of is it worth buying the, the current Ranger, so the, the end of this generation, uh, or waiting until the next one comes out? This is going to be the same engine, same gearbox. Uh, but of course, a new one will look different, so it's got a, a few uh, technology updates, etc. And I'm sure will also be twenty, thirty k more. Yeah, uh, yeah. You're in a, you're in an interesting situation because the new Ranger has been announced, and uh, yeah. it's it's a very different vehicle. Uh, it's getting a lot of rave reviews from from where it has been uh, been released. It is on its way, but as Matthew's pointed out a few times this morning, is that there's there's going to be supply issues, and it's going to take a while for it to get here. So um, the the choice is now is uh, is you, you can you can get a good deal on the current one because they'll need to shift stock, so it might it might play in your favour, uh, and then maybe uh, I don't know, Matthew. What do you think? Maybe if you show an intent to to perhaps upgrade for when the next one comes, because I'm thinking it's probably going to be another I don't know. I'm guessing fourteen fifteen months before they actually arrive here. A uh, very easy analogy. You're in one line and you're a couple of people away from the counter. <laughs> And you're thinking about switching to a, a, a different line that offers something else with a long, long queue. I mean, you're in an incredibly fortunate position that you're very close to receiving a vehicle. That car will not lose a lot of money. So you could actually get the best of both worlds. Take the new, take the Ranger that you've got on order. Enjoy it for a year, 18 months. While, while you've got that one, place an order for the new one. And when that gets closer to delivery, when you've got a, an indication that it's a month or two away, sell the other one and, and you've won because you won't lose a lot of money on the current Ranger because there just isn't enough out there. And there's still people that want that car right now that aren't as close to the finish line as you. So if you really want the new one, have the best of both worlds and do it that way. Absolutely. And likewise, we're just just interject there too, Matthew, is that you could actually um, trade it back to, to, uh, to, to the dealer because I'm sure they'll be looking for stock <laughs> when, when the new ones come through as well. So you can, it can be a win-win situation again with the same, with the same dealer. You, you purchase this car, put your order in for the next one, and then trade this one back in on the next one, uh, and you can, you can double up on that. Yeah, you're right, Damien. And, you know, do you remember when the, the Bronco was talked about and everyone was getting excited, which I think has got to be at least 18 months, two years ago now, and there's still barely any on the road. So, I mean, even if you put your order in for the new Ranger, don't expect to get it anytime soon. You'll probably drive the current one for at least 18 months, two mm. years before you get the new one. So, yeah, do that. Um, and you could even sell it privately for a bit more nearer the time. How does that sound, Corin? Yeah, sounds good. Good advice. Cheers for that. Fix it or flip it.
It's a very busy show this morning, I can tell you that much. So tell us uh, about your car and we'll tell you how much it's worth, how does it work. Just give us the details, the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage and send them to 4001 or via the ARM Play Play app. And we're going to go straight to uh, Rawan on the line. Rawan, you've got a, uh, a Jeep Wrangler Unlimited. Uh, it's a four-door and you're looking to sell, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so 109,000 kilometres. You're the original owner, and uh, it's got the full service history, yeah? Yes, it's got the full service history, no major accidents, um, the usual little scratches and dings on the side, but nothing serious. Okay, Matthew, what do you think about this? 2008 Jeep Wrangler, 109,000 kilometres, four-door. It's a a dark green, the standard dark green. Oh, nice. Jeeps are getting crazy money at the moment, um, really, and particularly the unlimited, the four-door one. Uh, you're, you'll be surprised to know that y- your car will still be worth 45, 46, maybe 47,000 dirhams in the market right now, despite being a 2008, because there's just nothing out there at the moment. And people are paying way over the odds for Jeeps. Right. Oh, and and the, I guess the other question I have is, is it, is it better for us to hold on to it? Because you're thinking it's 12 years. Should we buy a new one? I mean, no, there's no stock in the market, but if there's stock later on this year, are we better off just keeping it or waiting until the stock is in and then selling it? Or what do you think? Well, well, it's it's never been a better time to, to buy a new car because the depreciation will be lower than it ever has been in the last few decades. But my advice is, Wait till you've, you know that car is imminently arriving and then sell the, 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 the current Wrangler because you won't, you won't have difficulty selling it and, and it won't change massively in value over the next 12 months. So make your next decision and understand when that car is going to arrive uh, and then sell the, um, the existing one. But you won't, you won't have problems selling it. Uh, and the, the, the major change happened with that car in 2012 when they bought the, um, the Pentastar engine out, the 3.6 V6. So you're way, you're way away from that in terms of, of years. So, yeah, you'll be fine. Just, just make your next move first. Great. All right. Thank Brilliant. you so much. Thanks very much, Rawan. And we're going straight to uh, to Manos. And uh, Manos, you have a Lexus RX 350 2013 model, 105,000 kilometres. Tell us a little bit more about your RX 350. Okay, I'm. Uh, I've owned it since new. Um, it's it, it, it's been maintained at, at the uh, dealer up to a certain mileage, and then recently I've been doing services outside of the dealer, but I've got all records of everything. Uh, just some minor scratches here and there, but no, no major accidents. Uh, it's in tip-top condition. Always, it's, it's always been parked sort of underground, so you know everything is. You know, it's, it's, it's in very good nick. Great, nice one, uh, Matthew. Yeah, I mean, again, another another car that, that moves fairly quickly. The uh, the Lexus 2013, the RX 350. What do you think? Yeah, nice uh, mid-sized car. Um, that is a huge selling feature to say that you bought that car 10 years ago, brand new, and you've always maintained it. You will be top of the pile when people are looking for these cars. Um, you're, you're looking for a 2013 with those kilometers, probably late 60s, something like 67, 68,000. But you must okay. highlight what you've just said uh, very clearly in your advertising for this car, because that is such a strong selling feature. You know exactly what's happened with this car since day one. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you very much indeed. No, no problems, man. We'll have to sell next month.
Cheers. All right, man. All, all the best with it. And uh, we're going now straight to Mohammed. And Mohammed, uh, you have a Maserati Ghibli three litre 2017 model. Uh, not many kilometres on it though, thirty nine and a half thousand kilometres. Uh, but the full service history. Tell us a little bit more about this one. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, yeah, so uh, you explained everything already. <laughs> um, uh, it is uh, just uh, it has like a few obviously scratches. You know, when people open the door. Uh, carelessly and then uh, you have a small uh, thing otherwise it has nothing at all it's uh, my wife actually drives that and then you know um, to and from work and she doesn't really work far from uh, where we stay uh, hence uh, only 39 and a half we actually bought it uh, uh, you know the pre-owned um, by Maserati so we, when we bought it in 2018, it had 17,000 kilometers on it, and since we've only driven 22,000, um, so it's a like inside. You know, people when people come in, then you know they 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 actually tell my wife they don't want to want to sit inside because it's so clean. You know, they don't want to make it dirty <laughs> outside. Yeah, you know, it has a, um, a full service AC, everything. You know, drives perfectly fine. Um, so I just was wondering, because uh, is it time to change or not? Yeah. Uh, so, so when you, you know, say, you, you, what would you advise? Yeah. So when you say you purchase the car, you purchase it through through Altai, through Maserati's pre-owned uh, division. Is that correct? Yes, we did. Yes. Okay. So, so that that uh, that that adds some more ticks to the to the equation, Matthew. What do you think? Well, if he keeps talking, I'm going to buy that car. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. <laughs> but if, if, if it's the if it's the Ghibli S, um, you're you're looking probably around 180, 185 after that sales pitch. Um, yeah, it, sounds, it sounds a wonderful. I wish I could do that car. sales pitch too. <laughs> you, you need to. That's ex- do what you did today on on radio and do it to the person that stood in front looking at that car, please. Um, but yeah, you're okay. looking at the, around that value, and um, you know, consider consider that you um, have some amazing, amazing, unique selling features there. Being being the S for a start, but having such low kilometers, um, and it sounds a wonderful car. So, yeah, get your selling hat on and get out there. Okay, All thank right. you so much. Hope that helps, Mohammed. Good luck with it. Definitely, definitely. Thanks a lot. Okay, Matthew, uh, that's all we've got time for our phone-in callers for this morning because that means now it's time for uh, for a bit of pressure for you, Matthew. It's 60 seconds for, uh, for, for the uh, the speed quote, and um, we've got a lot of texts here that have come through, so you've got a few up your sleeve that you need to knock over in the next 60 seconds. Are you braced for this one? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready when you are. Okay, let's get straight into it. Matthew, it's a BMW 128 2012 model, white, full options, 156,000 kilometres. Oh, they're getting around 30,000 at the moment. Okay, a 2016 Honda Pilot EX Grey, 104,000 kilometres. Yeah, nice car, about 70,000 dirhams. Uh, BMW X6M, full options, 185,000 kilometres. What was the year? It uh, doesn't say, but it's a turbo, turbocharged. Uh, we'll go for, say, a 2016 down down the middle, and that'll be about 185. Yep, 2012 Audi A1 S-Line, 150,000 kilometres, and it's white. Yeah, entry-level Audi won't get much money with those kilometres. I would say probably 25, 26. Okay, it's a Land Rover LR4 2011 model. It's the V6, 171,000 kilometres. 
Yeah, V8 is more desirable, um, and that's a lot of kilometers for for 11 year old car. So that's going to be probably about 65, 70. There you go. That's uh, that's five for today, Matthew. <laughs> Yeah, a lot, a lot to unpack there. <laughs> there's, been a, there's been an awful lot going on, that's for sure. This this uh, BMW threw me the X6M. What, when, when you've got no year, you just have to say, where am I going to go with this car? Well, I think they've, they mentioned just turbo, so I think that might be the, the later model that had the, uh, the the twin turbocharged versions, I think just from my very fuzzy, fuzzy memory. Um, but, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. So, well, thank you very much again, Matthew, and... Um, I hope you enjoy some time with your Tesla over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I've got I've got to get more time in at Expo. I'm very conscious that this thing is a couple of weeks away from closing. I know it's going to get very busy the last week, so uh, expect to see me hanging out at the Expo site uh, over the next couple of weeks. Brilliant. Well, we'll see you back in two weeks' time. This is Motomania. More coming up next on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yes, it's Motormania, and I'm joined by fellow motoring journalist Noel Ebden. And, uh, Noel, before I ask you what you've been up to, I've got uh, a question here that's come in for for us, and uh, this has come from Fahad. He has a 2007 Land Cruiser, repainted, reupholstered, fully serviced, 540,000-kilometre mileage on it. Just Um, just broken in. He said, yes, it's not a typo. (laughs) How much would it go for, and if he keeps it, um, he wants to change the gearbox. How much would it cost, and the recommendation on where he can get it done? Oh God, that's uh... so it's half a million kilometers on this. Uh, that's <laughs> this yeah, Toyota Land Cruiser 07 Toyota Land Cruiser. Wow, um, I wouldn't know. I'm trying to think it's, where to start on that. That's I that, mean, it's been yeah. reupholstered, it's fully serviced, but uh, but I mean, firstly, how much it would sell for? It's you know, we had Matthew Davison earlier on, and we had a similar thing with a Toyota Prado with three hundred and fifty thousand kilometres on. He said they still pull money; they mm. still he'll still pay like at thirty grand or so. This Land Cruiser, similar thing in terms of the badge recognition, half a million kilometres. I'd probably say if you throw it in for twenty twenty five, I would have said thirty. Okay. Yeah, I would have gone thirty, yeah. but also just don't forget that the uh, that motor can be so easily rebuilt as well. I mean, you could you could refurb that motor. Yeah. Back to virtually like new very easily. It's not a it's not a complicated engine. So, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, there you go, Fahad. Um, that proof that that old Land Cruisers never die; they just get reupholstered and repainted. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talking about older things. Um, Older than that uh, Land Cruiser even is uh, we did this event two weeks ago, the Mille Miglia, and uh, what a fantastic event. Its origins go back to 1939 to 1957. It was reborn in 1977. It's now here. 43 teams, including one with you and one with I, in mm-hmm. it, uh, took part 700 kilometres across five Emirates, two full days of competition with the support of all the tourism authorities of each Emirates plus Dubai police. There were three thousand visitors who came down on display on the front to to watch us on the on the Friday evening. Wow. Um, how was it for you? You were on two wheels, which is the first time that's happened. You were with the Carrera Ducati team on two wheels. How was it for you? Uh, I'm still aching but, uh, <laughs> after 700 kilometres and in the saddle. Um, but I actually realised something last night. Funnily enough, that uh, I'm one of only four people in the world to ever have been on the Amelia Amelia event on a bike. Really? Because there's never been bikes well, yeah, in the Amelia Amelia. That's true. So the four of us that did this event were the first four 
in history, which is kind of cool. We can put that down. I'll put that on my CV. So, um, But, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, the route was brilliant. Um, the car's fantastic. Uh, some people took it super seriously and other people kind Massively. of just – Egg timers so, on the dash and yeah, the whole thing. The yeah, the whole thing, yeah. But some people just kind of pootled around and enjoyed themselves and had well, ice cream and took, view, took in the view. You know? That so. was us. We, we didn't take it seriously <laughs> at all. Um, in fact, I didn't get to drive it at all. My driver, of course, was, was as we said off the top of the show, Jochen Mass. Yeah. Uh, he's a Le Mans 20 for our winner. He's competed in Formula 1 for nine years, took part in the Dakar Rally twice. And if you've seen the movie Rush that's about Nicky Lauda, he played himself in that movie um, as well. So a little bit of a movie star. But uh, he's just like, well, let's go out and have some fun and uh, and go as fast as we can legally um, and, and, you know, let's not worry about the timing. So we drove to the top of Jebel Chase and uh, here's his impressions of the scenery up there. Standing here on the highest spot of the Emirates. It's a wonderful event for me. You know, you have some very, very different landscapes, different everything, and so on. So it's, it's really new for everybody. The climate and this time of the year, it is fantastic. It's beautiful. It's it's warm, but not hot, and so on. So it's, it's really fabulous. And I think the roads are in almost too good a shape. Now, he's also, he's a Millimilia veteran. Uh, he's competed in so many Millimilias. In fact, the most famous car that ever competed in the Millimilia in, was in 1955, driven by Sterling Moss, the Mercedes 300 SLR, the number 722 on the door. It's it's absolutely one of the world's most valuable cars. Apart from Sir Sterling Moss, who's now sadly passed away, Jochen Mass is the only person that Mercedes will let drive this car, and mm-hmm. he's, he's driven it before. So uh, he also shared his thoughts about uh, about how this inaugural event went in the UAE. I've done it 30 times in a row, and I had the finest cars you can imagine. Since I always drove the Mercs, the Mercs were always successful. I mean, the one already early 30s with the SSKs. It's really, really nice. The Millimilia is a state, uh, state-owned enterprise. And I'm saying it quite serious because the state supports it, the state wants it, and so on. And that's uh, something we, of course, we can bank on. And, and he brought out a very good point, is that the, the support, as we said earlier, the support from, from the tourism from all the Emirates and from Dubai Police was phenomenal. The Dubai Police guys were great fun. Mm. They had the Mercedes AMG uh, SLS and they had the Aston R- Martin, I think. And well, the, R8. the R8 as yeah, well. Yeah, the R8, yeah. These were the same cars that they took to Italy to compete in earlier That's right, in the yep. year. Um, just brilliant stuff. Now, you, you did it on the, on the Ducati. Would you, you're saying you're just getting over it now. Would you go back and have it? How, how soon does the healing process take before you can get back on a motorcycle for another 700 kilometres? I think the gala event that night, we were already saying, can we do it again? So, uh, yeah, I think that pretty much um, that tells you everything you need to know. So, uh, <laughs> look, I, I think it's hopefully here to stay. I, you know, it's, it was it was very, very well organised. I mean, quite often these these events, first time out, need a bit of tweaking and stuff like that. But I couldn't. I actually couldn't fault it. Um, everything on the rail was perfect. I mean, it went really well. Yeah, well, it was a prologue to what's coming up later on, and it's coming up in the uh, the fourth quarter of this year. Um, and there's already apparently a hundred teams globally registered to, uh, wow. to to take part. So, looking forward to it. Can't wait for that one. Yeah. Speaking of. Um, supercars and all things like that you've got some interesting information about the most efficient supercars as if that's at the top of anyone's priority list when they have a supercar but uh, tell us about what you've found so i randomly got sent an email um by a company and uh, a 
company describing themselves as automotive experts, Zatubi, and they've done a supercar, a list of the most fuel efficient supercars. And there's a couple of interesting facts in here. So the most efficient, uh, and it depends obviously what you consider a supercar, but the most efficient supercar was the Ferrari California. Oh, okay. uh, Which will do uh, uh, 10.5 litres per 100 kilometres, followed by the 458 Ferrari. Followed by the four five eight, uh, that was the Spider. Followed by the Italia, and then Aston Martin came in fourth with Vantage. So, right. and funnily enough, Ferrari actually took six of the top ten places. So really, if you re- so, well, it has yeah. been voted the engine of the year a number of times, hasn't it? That yeah. V eight Ferrari engine. Exactly. Now, there's a couple of really interesting facts here. The um, the four five eight Spider and the California um, had a higher estimated. Uh, distance. So they also put the estimated distance on a f- on a full tank of fuel, mm. and the four five eight Spider in the California had a longer uh, range than a Toyota Corolla. Really? Yes. My goodness. But what was really interesting was that they also gave us the um, the most exp- uh, most expensive cars to fill up. I okay. Uh, and unfortunately, Ferrari took two of those spaces as well. So um, <laughs> it's not all good news. Um, so they, the 612 Scaglietti. Yes, not surprised. Um, th- the 359 US dollars to fill it up. Now, I don't know what pricing they were going on, whether that was UK or US pricing, but obviously pricing here is different. And second was the 599 GTO. Mm-hmm. And the third was the Bugatti Chiron. More expensive than a Bugatti Chiron to fill? Yes. But now you'll love these ones. Uh, The most gas-guzzling supercar is the Veyron, uh, which uses 30.1 litres of fuel every 100 kilometres. Yeah. I can tell you straight up I drained a tank in 18 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But to be fair, I don't think Bugatti owners are particularly worried, (laughs) to be fair. So we'll we'll, we'll let them get away with that one. Not too bad. Uh, At the complete opposite end of all that that, uh, information, um, I spent last week uh, in the sunny climes of, of the south of Spain down around the roads around Marbella and, and Malaga, driving Renault's newest electric vehicle, and it's the uh, it's the Megane. It's the fifth generation Megane. It shares the the platform. If anyone's been to, uh, hopefully everyone everyone who's who has been out to Expo and they looked at the Nissan stand uh, earlier, Nissan had the Araya concept vehicle. It's the same platform as that. It's the CM CMF V platform, and um, it's uh, it's the same one it shares with Nissan and Alpine's front wheel drive. It has uh, an uh, uh, front. It's, it's all front wheel drive. Um, it has the slimmest battery, 110 millimeters, which means that it has the lowest ride height. And I drove it. And it's the first real electric vehicle that uh, felt more like a road car at an affordable price. I mean, we're not talking about Porsche Taycans, but this is something that looking to prob- hopefully get here towards the end of next year. And it showed for the first time how. EVs are now starting to look and feel like proper cars and not sitting on top of a big skateboard chassis type thing. Mm. Mm. Which is what we all want to see. We want to see, we want to see the cars we're used to yeah. electrified. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, you know, it's uh, 1624 kilos, so it's lighter than its main competitor is going to be the VW ID4. That's mm-hmm. about 20, 50 kilos. The Tesla Y is 2,000 kilos. Um, it's, uh, it's, 
one pedal operation if you want so you have the regeneration brakes where you can um you, you can have i use them like paddle shifts almost they've got the paddles behind the steering wheel that have four levels of regen which if you play correctly you can actually use them almost like changing gear ratios down in the corners you go maximum regen coming into a corner and it slows the car off and then you go get on the gas again and you wind it out and so old, is, old school engine braking. Kind of, yes, yeah. yes. Like bra- so, brake braking, if that makes sense, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it, interesting one. So, yes, um, uh, had a bit of fun playing with that, but, of course, you can read the full report on that coming up in the National and in carexpert.com um, in soon. So interesting stuff coming out from Renault. Renault's pledged to be fully electric by 2030, uh, in Europe at least. They've got the Zoe, and this is now coming out, and I'm sure there's going to be a whole lot more coming from Renault. 